I was offered a summer job during my undergraduate studies in a facility that was making cancer drugs out of different kinds of plant extracts and sort of never looked back. Became involved in the business side on the sort of startup side of things, was involved with a company called Matza Innovation, which was the sort of predecessor company of our current company, Filament Health. At Matza, we commercialized novel botanical extraction technology, which replaced the use of toxic solvents using just water. Forget frequently asked questions, common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Benjamin Lightburn. He's the co-founder and CEO of Filament Health. And we're going to talk about psilocybin and psychedelic medicine. So, Ben, thank you for coming. Thanks so much for having me. If you want to tell me a bit about your background, how you got to the psychedelic medicine arena. Sure. I've actually been working in the field of botanical extraction for my whole career. I got into it just kind of by coincidence, actually. I was offered a summer job during my undergraduate studies in a facility that was making cancer drugs out of different kinds of plant extracts. And sort of never looked back, became involved in business side on the the sort of startup side of of things, was involved with a company called Matza Innovation, which was the sort of predecessor company of our current company, Filament Health. At Matza, we commercialized a novel botanical extraction technology, which replaced the use of toxic solvents using just water. And in the summer of 2018, we sold that company. Um, decided to turn our hands to psychedelics, particularly natural psychedelics, because at the time it was very peculiar to us, us being the sort of exited team from the previous company. It was very peculiar that all research and attention was focused on synthesized or synthetic psychedelic substances. And you know, while there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with making compounds like psilocybin uh, via chemical synthesis, we believe quite strongly that eventual consumers of legalized psychedelic in legalized psychedelic marketplaces, that these people would prefer naturally derived psychedelic medicine. And so here's, we've actually created the first pharmaceutical grade natural psychedelic drug candidates. We've got approval to enter those candidates into a number of different clinical trials all around the world and working on more and more. And we're, we're, we're talking about products like psilocybin and psilocin from the magic mushroom, ayahuasca from a couple of different traditional South American plant species, mescaline, salvia, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Which, which of these, uh, compounds is closest to being uh, legal? I would say maybe psilocybin. Definitely psilocybin is the closest becoming legal. In fact, earlier this year, Oregon State started its legal market for psilocybin. That was after a ballot measure that happened two years ago. Psilocybin is now legal at, at a state level in Oregon State. In terms of FDA development, psilocybin is just behind MDMA. So there's a, a company that is developing a synthetic form of psilocybin for the treatment of uh, treatment-resistant depression, 
And that company is about to start their phase three trials and obviously would seek drug approval for that, for, for their drug uh, shortly thereafter. So it might be a few years away from federal approval in the United States as a pharmaceutical product. Well, I guess, so, you know, I've heard with marijuana and with other substances, for instance, you know, they use butane as solvents or other kinds of things. So the water only solvent method you found is that, but what, what substances is that for? That's a good question. The water only extraction method that we commercialized in the previous company, that technology was good for replacing solvents that were relatively highly polar or moderately polar solvents, such as ethanol, methanol, ethyl acetate to a certain extent, not good at replacing solvents like, like butane or supercritical CO2. These are what are known as non-polar solvents. In effect, why supercritical CO2 has become popular as an extraction solvent, but it's also non-toxic. So it can have similar extraction uh, capabilities to toxic non-polar solvents like butane, hexane, things like that. At Filament, we're using a number of different extraction technologies. We're actually not using the one that we commercialized at the at the last company, but we, we have a mixture of different extraction solvents that we use. Uh, we don't use butane or any of the highly toxic solvent from the cannabis industry. Choose different solvents depending on which is the target compound that we're going for and maybe what's the market that we're intending to commercialize in. So what are you using it for now? Are you using it to extract, let's say, psilocybin or psilocin or... You know, what are you using it on right now? Clearly, we are manufacturing psilocybin-based drug candidates as well as our psilocin-based drug candidates. We're also doing R&D on ayahuasca, which obviously contains DMT and harmaline and some other compounds like that. In the future roadmap, we have mescaline and salvia and many other such compounds, which may require the use of, of different salts. But why are you trying to extract these? I mean, like, uh, you know, from what I've heard, again, for instance, with marijuana, there's hundreds of different terpenes and, you know, CBD, CBG, CBN, you know, with mushrooms, instead of just taking the psilocybin only or the psilocin, there's probably a lot of other ancillary compounds that contribute to the experience and ayahuasca too. There definitely is. And that's one of the, the main things that differentiates our product from a synthetic product is that our extract actually contains all of those other secondary compounds. When you make a product via chemical synthesis, you really only make the one primary compound, like psilocybin in the case of magic mushrooms. But our process has been developed in order to not only extract all of the secondary uh, components along with the primary component, but also to preserve them along the manufacturing process and keep them in the final product in the same ratio and, and quantity as if you were to consume the raw fungus for for example. So that's actually one of the one of the the main features of our product. We're not extracting the psilocybin and then isolating it to the exclusion of the other compounds. So you're getting all the answer ones. But what form are you putting it into for people like tincture or a candy or you know once you've done the extraction then what? Once we do the extraction, we then purify it. Once it's purified, we then standardize it and, and formulate it. Um, it goes into a capsule, just a, a normal capsule like you would see any other drug or, or a nutraceutical product. If we wanted to, it, it could be formulated into a food product or a candy or 
or a gummy or something like that. But for now, we're, we're just focused on on capsules because for now, the primary market is for pharmaceutical development. So wh- where and how would this be used? By what trained therapists would they administer a capsule with someone and then they, they would undergo the experience in like a controlled environment in their office or how would this work? That is generally how it works in clinical trials and in sort of the limited distribution that we're able to engage in currently. In Canada, where we're based, there's a program called the Special Access Program. And the Special Access Program allows people, Canadian patients, to apply for experimental therapies if they are in a serious or life-threatening situation. And because our psilocybin uh, drug candidate is in clinical development, it qualifies as a an experimental therapy. And so we've been quite busy over the last few months actually distributing our product to a number of different, a few dozen uh, patients in, in Canada. And the way it works is just like you said, they, the patient will consume the psilocybin in the presence of their you know, doctor or therapist. It, it usually happens at the therapist's office, but it could also happen at the patient's home where they might feel a little bit more comfortable or maybe they have difficulty moving around. And so it's, it's much better to administer the psilocybin at, in the comfort of their, of their own home. The experience will last, you know, something around six hours in really important parts of the whole experience are the pre and post session preparation and integration. So they will receive counseling about, you know, what they might expect and set an intention for the experience, you know, what are the things that they might want to work on or think about, you know, many of the the patients that we receive are experiencing what's known as end of life distress. So they may have some kind of a terminal diagnosis and they very understandably may be having trouble coming to terms with that diagnosis. And that using psilocybin in those cases is one of the main uses that we see. After the psilocybin session, it's obviously also very important to undergo what's known as an integration session where the patient and the therapist will try to make sense of everything that the patient experienced during that psilocybin session, you know, what kinds of realizations were made and breakthroughs and and all of that kind of a thing. And it's by combining the preparation, the session, as well as the integration, that's how we can see that the, the best patient outcomes can be achieved. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. All right, what does that mean? So if someone's facing end-of-life issues and they take psilocybin, what happens? How does it help? So it might relieve their symptoms of depression and anxiety. It might help come to better terms. You know, that some of the patients describe, you know, 
being somewhat at peace with the with the diagnosis and and their situation and it can really help improve the quality of life that they enjoy for their remaining time and not only that it can also improve the quality of life for all of their family members as well who see that their loved one um may be uh suffering uh less okay so what's um I mean, what is the near-term future for, for filament? What are you working on that you want to, you just want to increase distribution of these extractions you're doing of these compounds or, or what's next for you guys? So our, our main focus is to develop these drugs into approved medicines. And so while we are gaining a fair amount of experience distributing the product, this is kind of unique one-off basis every time it gets distributed. So. Our goal is to conduct clinical trials uh, such that we can get approvals for these substances and actually have the ability to, to market them. Some of our drugs are in phase one studies as well as uh, phase two studies, both through our OLIN clinical development program as well as by a licensing partnership. So we've had a, a fair amount of interest for from other companies to in-license our drug candidates because the the technology that we developed to make pharmaceutical grade natural psychedelic drug candidates, many of these technologies that we've developed have now been patented and the patent have been issued. And so they form an, an attractive protected vehicle for other companies to base a drug development uh, platform on. So we have a kind of a dual strategy of pursuing drug development for our own candidates for certain indications as well as licensing them to other third-party co companies for different indications. This way we can generate revenue in the near term and also generate royalties in the future when our licensees have commercial sales. Well, what can you, can you patent any of this, the extraction method or anything, or are there no intellectual protections for any of this? So because we're working with natural compounds, it's not actually possible to patent naturally occurring things. Psilocybin, for instance, it's not possible to just patent psilocybin. But as you touched on, it is possible to patent technologies that you develop, which are used for manufacturing. So extraction, purification, standardization, as well as compositions of matter for the resulting human deliverable forms. As well, our process involves uh, a fair amount of uh, trade secrets. For instance, you know what strains are we using? You know what are the growing conditions? What media are they growing on? All of these things affect the final composition of the of the various drugs and not made public. So we, we keep those as trade secrets. Okay, with uh, ayahuasca and some of the other substances, is there any legality to it? Are you even able to extract the compounds and then? Uh you know, give them to people or like, why are you working on those if there is no legal framework or is there? Yes. For the moment, um, all of these substances are controlled substances by the U.S. and Canadian federal government. So that's not to say that they are illegal substances. So just they're controlled, but the, 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 the schedules that they're on do permit things like pharmaceutical development and clinical testing. So DMT, the, the active ingredient ayahuasca, is in the same schedule as, as, as psilocybin. So the same restrictions apply to all of those. The difference with psilocybin is that there's so much interest with psilocybin that various state governments have gone ahead and, well, at least one has already legalized it and 
Colorado, there was another ballot measure where Coloradans actually voted in favor, legalized natural medicine. And that one, in fact, also includes a DMT. So that, that one passed in the last election cycle, um, but the regulations and everything will come into force for another year or two. Any compounds that are very unusual that you guys are looking at? Like, I think it's what, Scolopendra or something, the devil's breath. Anything interesting there or any other compounds that you're working on? There's one, a quite a unique one called Bufotenin. It's 5-H-O-D-M-T. Another South American traditional entheogen, which um, traditionally is consumed by inhalation through a, a long tube, like a kind of a snuff into the nose. That's one that is has kind of piqued our interest that, that we're working on. But I would say actually sort of paradoxically, the most unique thing that we're looking at is one of our drug candidates is standardized in psilocin, which is the active form of psilocybin. And, and many people may not know that psilocybin on its own is not actually bioactive in the, in the human body. It has no effects. It actually needs to convert into this related compound called psilocin. But the conversion process, which happens in the body, can be quite variable. So that means that for a given fixed dose of oral psilocybin, people can eventually get a, quite a different varying amount of psilocin in their blood and, and have different amount of effects. But because psilocin is quite unstable, especially when manufactured synthetically, all research up till now has actually been on synthetic uh, psilocybin. We're actually the, the first group to have made a stable formulation standardized in psilocin and actually get FDA authorization to administer it into humans. So while it's a compound that in general people are quite familiar with because every time they've consumed magic mushroom or consumed synthetic psilocybin, they eventually have had psilocin in their system. Psilocin is unique to us in that way in that um, we're, like I said, we're the first people to actually make a stable formulation of it and get it into a clinical trial. So we're hoping to demonstrate that it could be therapeutically more advantageous compared to psilocybin. Psilocin created from psilocybin in the body, is it metabolized by the liver or something? Or? Yeah, so there's um, an enzymatic process, dephosphorylation, the phosphatase enzymes convert uh, present in the body, and they're present all around the body, but predominantly in the liver, as well as in the gut, they convert the psilocybin in, into the psilocin. Interestingly, the magic mushroom itself has other similar enzymes which convert the psilocybin into the psilocin, but then also convert the psilocin into other non-active uh, uh, compounds. So one of the characteristics of psilocybin-containing mushrooms is the bruising. And what's going on there is that when you touch a fresh mushroom, you're actually rupturing some of the fragile cells, allowing the enzyme to convert the psilocybin into the psilocin, as well as the psilocin to convert into this other compound, which is blue. So people will sometimes think that the blue color is evidence of potency, which it isn't quite. It's actually evidence that there was once psilocybin, but it's not evidence that there currently is psilocybin. What have people experienced that take, let's say, pure psilocin, where extracted purified psilocybin? What is their experience like versus just eating a mushroom with all the ancillary compounds? That is a question that we are aiming to answer with with research because up till now, 
until our drug candidates came into existence, there were no pharmaceutical grade drug candidates which contained all of the secondary metabolites. Obviously, there's many people that have taken all kinds of different magic mushrooms, and people do report that different strains or different varieties of mushrooms have these different effects. And if that's true, that's the basis for the hypothesis that a uh, an extractive product that contains the entire entourage may have different or more beneficial effects to one that contains only the primary compound. So much more research is needed to 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 get this evidence, but it's um, evidence that that we're keen to be able to demonstrate one day. Okay. Um, of the other substances, though, have you, have you been able to establish like what what happens in a person if they're purified versus not? No research that I'm aware of has directly compared a natural psychedelic containing the whole entourage directly to a synthetic containing only the primary metabolite. Let, like I mentioned, our, our natural drug candidates are the first that uh, do contain the natural entourage. So it's, it's something that probably we would have to undertake um, over time. So, I mean, is there, do you think there's going to be a trade-off between, again, isolating certain chemicals for an effect? Or do you think it's going to be better if you include, again, a whole bunch of ancillary chemicals that, that are associated with, again, mushrooms and ayahuasca and other substances? Obviously, as the CEO and founder of a naturally focused company, my bet is that people will prefer naturally extracted substances that contain all of the secondary metabolites. Mm. It's important to remember that, you know, humanity involved in nature with plant species that, you know, we always look to for nutrition and medicine and all these different purposes. And also that these plants and, and fungal species did evolve to contain all of these different compounds for some reason, right? You know, these psilocybin mushrooms contain much more than psilocybin. Why? Well, we, we don't really know what one of the reasons could be is that the effects of consuming the whole complement of different metabolites is somehow more beneficial than, than to just the one. And obviously that's something we see in, in cannabis and, and all the time, right? Like different strains of cannabis produce lots of different effects in people or like, you know, to take another example, like different varieties of wine, right? Like different varieties of wine have a different taste or a different color. And one might be better for this or might be better for that. There's, there's no reason why, why magic mushrooms should be any different than that. Yeah, just the, the traditional drug industry seems to want to isolate compounds instead of have all the, you know, the ancillary ones that will come in a substance. So that's why it's a very different approach, but it sounds like your approach will make more sense. It is a very different approach. I'll be the first to admit it. And I definitely agree with you that traditional Western pharmaceutical development for the last, you know, five or six decades has focused on single compound isolated preparations. It's easier to measure. It's easier to standardize. It's easier to reproduce. Um, working with natural substances is more challenging in terms of reproducibility and consistency and stability and all these different things. But that's exactly why we decided to attack those challenges because at the end of the day, by going through the harder work of making a natural product, which contains all these secondary compounds, um, we hope to end up with a product that's actually more efficacious, more performant and desired by more consumers. Okay. So um, when do you think that people may be able to, you know, through their doctor order, one of your, uh, your extractions? 
in the next few years, after we finish our clinical development, we hope that people will be able to get prescriptions for our drugs. We are also identifying licensing partners in the state uh, markets where psilocybin has become uh, legalized. And it so in there will be doctors that are prescribing, but people will be able to hopefully be able to get our products in those state level markets as well. Okay, very good. Well, what's the best place for people to find out more about your work? Where can they go? Definitely go to our website. Uh, I always encourage people to sign up for our mailing list. Um, feel free to reach out to us on on social media as well. We're, we're easy to find and quite responsive. Okay, very good. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. A pleasure to be on. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.